Welcome, everybody. This is Breakfast with Bob. My name is Bob Babbitt. We are brought to you by the PTO, the Pro Triathletes Organization, by Amp Human, Bello Fix, Norma Tech, Form Swim Goggles, You Can, and our Challenged Athletes Foundation. We just sent out 3,921 grants, totally $5.9 million to keep challenged athletes in the game of life through sport. Our next guest, just one of the greatest athletes on the planet. She is the Olympic gold medalist in triathlon from 2016. At one point, she won 13 WTS races in a row. The great Gwen Jorgensen joins us. Gwen, how are you? Yeah, um, considering everything that's going on, I guess I'm okay. <laughs> I, mean, I love your backdrop. You've got a little little trail running back there, and you're, you're working with some kids right now, a little virtual virtual camp. That's right. Yep. Um, there's a virtual camp going on with Bowerman Track Club, which I run with. And so it's for um, athletes in high school. And our one of our goals this week was to create a virtual background. And so this is the one I picked. It's actually a picture that Talbot Cox made or took of us um, via drone in Mammoth Lake. So you can kind of see us if you look on the trail, you see a bunch of little uh, yep. little people running. <laughs> So it's funny because people are like, okay, Gwen's going to try to make her second Olymp or third Olympic team, and this is in a second sport. If someone told you back in 08, 09 that you were going to be an Olympian in any sport, what would you have said? Yeah, I would have said they were crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I tried to make it um, in swimming when I was super young, and I wasn't making national teams. I wasn't making junior national teams, and so I kind of just realized this sport was a passion. It wasn't going to be a path of mine. Um, and, and so, you know, even in college, I remember, I, I remember distinctly thinking I had my 5k time and I remember I was debating if I could go pro as a runner. And I thought, well, there's no way I could ever go faster than 1540 that like for in my head, for some reason, I thought like I could never go faster than that in a 5k. Um, and I've smashed that now. But it's just funny to to go back and um and and to think of those thoughts I had and you know I think it really it made me realize um, that I've needed people to believe in me and support me even when maybe I'm doubtful and so it's 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 a it's allowed me to then go back and invest in my community and invest in people that I believe in and that's why I do things like this youth camp and and get involved with youth athletes because I I've realized like I needed that to to find my love of sport and, and to be able to live this lifestyle. So you're going through the, you're at Wisconsin, you swam and you ran there and then you, you get your CPA, you've got a job with Ernst and Young, your, your life path is pretty set. Then Barbara Lindquist, I think from USA Triathlon reaches out and says, Hey, you've got a good swim run background. Let's teach you to ride a bike and you can become an Olympian. What was your first thought when Barb approached you? Yeah, I just, I said like exactly kind of what I just said. I said, there's no way. Like I tried to do that when I was younger and I'm not a good enough athlete. I said, you know, I don't want to be living at my parents' house. I'm a strong, independent woman and I want to be able to support myself financially. And there's no way I can do this. Like I've never even ridden a road bike before. Like this is impossible. Um, and, and bless, um, bless Barb's heart. Cause she just, she didn't give up on me. And she was actually probably the most meaningful mentor I've ever had. She called me once a week for, I would say almost a year. And 
she didn't, you know, every once in a while she'd push triathlon, but more so she would just be checking in. How are you doing? What are you doing? Um, you know, uh, how's school going? How's work going? And she was just super patient and nice and taught me a lot of life lessons. And um, eventually she said, well, it sounds like you're still working out and, you know, you're still swimming and biking or still swimming and running. So why don't you just try biking and you can continue to work at Ernst & Young and just kind of do this on the side, you know, just as your workout that you do. And um, that's kind of how she convinced me to give triathlon a shot. Well, and a good buddy of mine, Tom Schuler, uh, back in Wisconsin was telling me, hey, this, this girl, Gwen, is, uh, is starting to ride, and it, it's going to be a project. She's falling over a little bit at the stoplight. The clipping in part has not been very good so far, and I brought my, you know, one of the cyclists I'm working with, this guy, Patrick Lemieux, to, to help out a little bit. Talk a little bit about when you first got on the bike and started trying to, to train on it. How frustrating was that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, that was frustrating to lift. You know, when you're falling over at stoplights, it's a very, you don't really get injured usually because it's a very slow fall. You just kind of are like, oh no, I'm tipping over. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you can't unclip. And yeah, that was super frustrating. Um, but yeah, I was thankful that I had people like Tom Schuler who invested in me and he went out on group rides with me all the time, was helping me out. And like you said, there was one group ride. It was a Wednesday night ride that I did every week. I got dropped every week, never could make it with the pack to the finish line. Um, and Pat Lemieux was on that ride. And Tom was like, hey, Pat, here's Gwen. She's learning to ride a bike. Could you just help her out? And so Pat, you know, pulled me back up to the pack a few times. Um, and I ended up finishing that ride with everyone. And at the end of it, Pat asked me out to dinner and kind of the rest is history. Um, yeah, we're married now and have a kid. So yeah, was, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for Tom, not only for investing time in me and helping me become the triathlete um, I was able to become, but also introducing me to uh, Patrick. So when did you feel that you could be good at this? Because really, when you look at the progression, all of a sudden you're getting into it in 2010, falling over stoplights. By 2012, you're on the Olympic team. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Was there one race between 2010 and 11 where all of a sudden you're going, okay, I, I maybe Barb knows something here. Maybe I can be good at this. <laughs> yeah, when I first thought, um, you know, Barb, Barb knew what she was talking about was probably the, um, the test event in London a year out where I qualified, got second. It was the highest place, I think, American yeah. finish ever. Um, and, but, you know, at that same time, I still don't think – I was totally believing in myself. I knew I was good enough to, to make the Olympic team, but there was a lot of chatter. A lot of people saying she only made this team because it was a running race and um, she can't ride a bike and all these things. So I think, you know, for me, actually, the, the race that is probably the most meaningful to me and proved to me that I could do it all was um, quite a few later years later um, after the Olympics, I guess. Maybe it was 2013. It was in Stockholm. And everyone said it was a horrible course for me. There was cobblestones. It was a really hilly, like hard technical bike course. And I remember I was like top five out of the water of the swim. So I had an awesome swim, um, stuck in it on the bike, was great on the bike and um, had an amazing run. And after that race, I really realized like, you know what? I am a true triathlete. I had all these people saying I wasn't necessarily a true triathlete. And so that was kind of the race that I felt like I really proved to myself that um, I, I am the whole package and can do some bike and run. 
so you, at that first Olympics, uh, flat tire, like 38 plays, whatever. But from that, I'm sure you came out of it going, okay, now I know what this is like. And 2016 is Rio, and that's my goal, and that's my one focus is getting to Rio and winning the gold. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, London taught me a ton, and I think it's – I'm actually fortunate in a way that I got that flat tire. Um, you know, I finished that race just with this huge hole, I feel like, in my heart and my mind of I know I can do better. And, and it made me search out what, what am I missing? And I looked at the top three girls, like, what are they doing on a daily basis that I'm not, you know, what do I need to do to, to win gold? And I realized I needed to be in this daily training environment. You know, I was currently in leading up to 2012. I just had an online coach. I was, you know, a few days a week riding with Tom Schuler. But um, other than that, like I was swimming with a master's group, running on my own. Um, so I looked into different daily training environments and found Jamie Turner and I am a Midwest girl. I didn't want to leave home. And I knew that if I joined his group, I'd have to be gone for eight months of the year. And yeah. I remember Patrick and I were very new in our relationship and he was kind of like, I'll move to, uh, <laughs> Spain and Europe with you. He was a professional cyclist. He's like, that sounds great for training for me. So, um, you know, he moved over. Um, with me and I started in a daily performance environment and I feel like that just changed me completely me being able to train with my competitors every single day pushed me taught me you know what what I need to be doing to be at that level what, what I love to I read somewhere where the, the other kids you were training with because you yeah you're a little older than them they're like we're calling you grandma <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I feel like in in sport um, even now I'm the oldest on um, my Bowerman team so now that Shalane has retired, so yeah, you know, I'm always, uh, feel like I'm on the older end and I think that's, um, it's a good thing though. And when I, when I work with athletes at a young age, I like it as well. Cause it's nice to be able to say like, I didn't specify in these sports growing up. And, you know, I think it is good to be well-rounded and, and to be able to, um, have that mental energy later on in life to still have this. Um, will and drive to to want to be good in sport. So 2014, 2015, 13 consecutive wins. When you get on a roll like that, did it almost become, uh, was there more pressure every time you'd win? It's like, okay, now we're expecting when to win every single time. How did you deal with that? Yeah, um, you know, I got that question a lot. And I think the more races I won, the questions weren't, you know, how are, is X, Y, or Z person going to perform? It was when's, when's winning streak going to end? Um, and, and for me, that's something I realized I, one, I didn't think about it. And two, I didn't want to think about it. Um, you know, I can't control what other people do and I can only go into the races and control me. And so you now I went into the races just with the process and technique based goals that, um, I go into with races and I knew that I just needed to execute on, on what I can and um, that's all you can do. So yeah, I mean, I think the only time it was a little weird was I, I did the Island House race and I just, I remember I finished that race. It was on a TT bike. I hadn't really felt like I was training properly. And I remember I won that one and I was like, 
how like what what just happened like this that was probably the only one where I was I was just like this is ridiculous like I can't lose or something um but yeah you know I I lost going into the Olympics a few races I think I got like a second and a third and you know for me um having that mentality of not caring about the winning streak and more just focusing on executing my technique and processes I knew that um I was still headed in the right direction going into the Olympic Games What's fascinating to me is when you're talking non-drafting, we've seen people have long winning streaks before. But the thing with a draft legal race, it's such a crapshoot, right? It's because you're in close proximity with each other. It's an open road. It's When somebody goes off the front back in the day in, an, in a non-draft race, they're by themselves. Yeah. You're never by yourself, right? You're always yeah. with that group. So anything can happen, which makes that, to me, that winning streak, unbelievable. I mean, Aww. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. Winning 13 in a row like that is, is, is pretty special. Yeah, and I do. I mean, like you said, it is like that's probably – I think what you were getting at was, you know, you could crash. It could be, you know, someone else totally. could – somebody could do something in front of you, and it would ruin your race. And um, that's actually like what I hated about this sport was uh, not having control over that. Um, you right. know, your race could be totally ruined by – um, somebody crashing in front of you or by a flat tire, um, and having no control over that. So, um, but yeah, a lot of, you know, it's also, you know, learning the skills and learning who do you ride behind and where do you ride in the pack? And you can mitigate a lot of those, um, those chances of something going wrong. And I feel like Patrick and Jamie really prepared me in those situations to, to be able to mitigate those and and increase my likelihood of just making the race come down to my engine. The when you headed to Rio, and if people thought before that okay, Gwen's this great runner, and yeah, she's an okay cyclist. Rio is a cyclist course, right? Rio, big climb, pretty scary downhills, right? Yes. And you—that's where you're going to go when you. And it's an ocean swim too, which is yep. normally you guys are jumping off a pontoon. This is a little different gig. So going into the, how much preparation, because I remember, I think you were doing some stuff with Red Bull where you were on a motorcycle and, and, and basically simulating those downhills so you knew the lines. Talk a little bit about how you prepared specifically for that race. Yeah, I did a ton of preparation. Um, you know, training-wise, the beginning of that year, 2016, we, ne- we normally would do, you know, bleeding up into every WTS that we did, we'd do specific training for that WTS. But that whole year, we didn't train for any WTS specifically, we just trained for Rio. So, you know, starting in January, we were, January, we were doing the hills we needed, mimicking the hills, you know, they were, I think it was like a like three minutes, and then a little bit of a flat, and then another like two minutes, super steep, And so we were doing that for efforts every single week. And so my body just got in tune with what it needed to do. Um, And then on the mental side, yeah, I was, I went to a camp. Um, I remember Tim Johnson was there, um, cyclocross athlete, and he was um, teaching me just basic skills on my bike that I was still scared of, you know, pushing me over um, while I was on my bike, um, shouldering me and, and trying to just make me comfortable um, with my, with my bike and my skills on the bike, we were, I was on the back of a motorcycle. We were going down hills at speed so I could see like, you can do these corners at X speed and you can handle it and it's okay. And then once I got on my bike and went down the hill, I realized, oh, this feels like slow compared to that. Um, I also did, I had like a virtual reality 
where I wore it um, and it was the course, the bike course. And so I was able to see the bike course um, every night and, you know, just watching my visualization. So I did a ton of uh, specific work for that. And, um, you know, I, I look back at some of the pictures actually from the Rio race and there's this one that I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I must have been so confident or something. I just, everyone is on the bike and they're just kind of like suffering or they look like they're, their faces are tired. And I just have this huge grin. Like, I just look like I'm taking a photo shoot or something like my, I have this huge smile and I'm like, wow, like it was just interesting. I think, you know, during that race, I got on the bike and I remember a few people, everything we knew going into that race, everyone was going to try to break away. Um, you know, Flora Duffy, um, Nicola Spierig, like we knew these athletes, they're strong cyclists and that they were going to try to break away. And I just remember they tried a few times and I'm pretty sure I was smiling because I was just like, I know I got this, like what's going on? (laughs) So yeah. So prepared. You yeah, were, yeah. You were so prepared. So then, and you hadn't raced Nicola Spirig since 2012 Olympics, right? And That's been, right. She had, had crashed, had a broken hand, all that type of stuff. But so now you're racing her. She's a defending champion for Olympic gold. And you guys are in the run. And basically, there's a, a stretch into the, into the wind. And you're leading. And she's not wanting to share at that point, right? <laughs> you guys, it's not often in an Olympic, gold, an Olympic race, you see people talking to each other. But there was a little bit of a dialogue, sort of like, no, you take the lead. No, 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 I think you should lead for a while. Yep. Yeah, um, you know, she, yeah, we hadn't raced each other, and I didn't really know her in, in races. And so I had been leading, and I, and I felt like, okay, she's with me. I kind of want to just see her form. Like, I, I'm a pretty good jo- judge when I see somebody of, um, you know, are they breaking down? Are they doing really well? Like, and that will dictate in that race, I was like, that will dictate when I'm going to actually go for it. Um, and so I was like, you take the lead. And she's like, no, you take the lead. She's like, I already have a gold medal. Like it's your turn. Um, and I said, yeah, you're also a mother. And I think that's more impressive. And so it was just kind of a little bit of a banter back and forth. And, um, you know, I think I, I watched the replay once, I think. And, um, I remember thinking just like, I can't believe the people behind us didn't catch us. Like we didn't slow down for that long, but when we slowed down, like we were like not moving. So, um, pretty crazy, but yeah, I think, um, I think she eventually went a little bit to the front and I was able to gauge a little bit. Um, and then, um, the last lap I just put in a surge and I actually thought she was right behind me. Um, you know, the Olympic race, the course in Rio was amazing with fans just being lined everywhere. And I didn't look back and all I could hear was like cheering and the cheering went on and on and on. So I was like, she must be right there. It's just this really close race. And, uh, I remember like seeing the results after the race and just thinking, oh my gosh, I thought she was like a second behind me. So, um, you know, it made, it made me work for it for sure. Yeah. The winning by what, 40 seconds or something. And then, yeah winning the first ever Olympic gold in triathlon for the U.S. How did that change your world? (laughs) Um, It just completely changed my world. You know, it was something, it taught me that if I work really hard, um, put, put myself in a position where I'm surrounded by people who support me and help me, um, that, that, that that's the way to set yourself up for success. And, um, you know, we did a big media tour afterwards and, you know, I'm not like, uh, I don't go to the grocery store and, and get recognized or anything like that, but, 
Um, you know, if I go show up at a triathlon, I'm, I'm surely going to get recognized. And, you know, it's given me a voice and it's, it's allowed me to just give back to my community. Um, it, it gave me a lot of confidence as well, but, you know, actually, um, I'm going to go off on a little ta tangent now, but, yes. you know, it's given me such a voice and, you know, with the climate right now, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, it's really, it's made me realize like I can help in the triathlon world and the triathlon world. I've talked to you, Bob, about this yes. a little bit. Um, but the, the population of black athletes is 0.5%, which is just ridiculous. It's so low. And so, you know, I've been talking and I talked to um, Max Fennell, who was the first uh, black professional triathlete. Yep. Um, you said you've been in contact with him as well. And I just learned, I think yesterday about um, Vanessa Forster. Um, she created this group called the um, Diversity Triathlon Movement. And I, I have a phone call with her later um, this week, but she started this movement and it's, um, she has currently 50 um, people of color uh, athletes that she's gotten free coaching for and all these sponsors to get them gear and you know, I've also been in contact with USA Triathlon and their diversity, equity, and inclusion program. And, you know, I've been frustrated because I've been wanting to make this immediate change and I want to be able to see it. Um, and I'm struggling. And, you know, you can talk a little bit, Bob, about um, what you've done, because I do think the, the things that you've put on with um, the athletes racing in like pools and stuff. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that? Because I do think that's a great way to get them into the sport. Absolutely. And when it's funny when you when you sent the email the other day saying, hey, I really want to chat about Black Lives Matter and getting more people of color into our sport. And I'm like, well, and you're probably like, oh, my God, this 38 page email comes back. <laughs> and really what it comes down to for me is I've always felt that our sport is an equal opportunity abuser. Right. We don't care if you're missing a leg, if you're in a wheelchair, if you're black, white, green, it doesn't matter. Our sport is there for you. And it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire or if you're, you know, if you're a janitor, come on out and play. The thing that I realized a number of years ago is that our sport, when you start talking about $10,000 bikes and you start talking about $800 entry fees and you talk about traveling around the world to go do this Ironman event, that that is something that is a deterrent for people getting into our sport. So we've got eight or nine of these pool triathlons here in Southern California. And I've been doing them for seriously 20 some years. And you go out and you see a bike that's got cobwebs on it, right? People are pulling <laughs> out of the garage and it's a three mile run to start. Anybody can run a 5k. Right? Yep. You can walk yep. a 5k. Yep, and exactly. a 10 mile, 10 mile uh, bike. And you can do that on a mountain bike, a bike with cobwebs, doesn't matter what it is. And a 150 yard swim in a pool. And I one of the real uh, roadblocks for people, especially people of color and people from the inner city is swimming. Yep, swimming they don't have access scary. to pools. They've never Nuts. like learned it in school. They just, they don't know how to swim. And if you and I go for a, a bike ride and we get tired, we can stop and walk. If we go for a run and we get tired, we can stop and walk. If we're out in the ocean or, or in a bay and we get tired while we're swimming, we die. That's a deterrent. That's a problem. So the key is, and we've been doing these swim programs for Challenge Athletes Foundation to get athlete, people, teach people how to swim. And, I, and I've reached out to Max and reached out to uh, TriMasters uh, yep, and reached Chicago, out yep. to, um, because what we see in these pool triathlons is immediately, because one of the issues too has been, our sport has for a long time been 
especially in a longer distance, 80% male, 20% women. When you start dropping the distance and you start adding the pool and adding not needing a great bike, all of a sudden it's 60% women and 40% guys, just like we see in running, because there's not that expensive uh, expense that goes with it, plus the the high entry fees, plus all the equipment. So these pool triathlons are invariably higher percentage of women and higher percentage of diversity. So it, you know, cheaper entry fee, uh, not scared to die, right? Don't need a high-end bike. Plus for a race director, you're talking Pasadena triathlon is a 5K around the Rose Bowl, followed by three loops on that same 5K. So you're blocking off to a total a 5K of road. Way more manageable, yeah. And then as a race director, at the finish, it's not like you're big, building big scaffolding. You're <laughs> putting a tiny map at the finish. Yep. So it's, it's not expensive to put on. And I tell people all the time, if there's a community pool, there's a community. There's people who live, and it doesn't, and the other thing is you don't need permits down by the beach. You can do these anywhere. I sent you that little video from the Tinsel Tri, yeah. and you can see people swimming vertically, right? Yep. People have never been in the water before. So the deal is our sport can have a huge impact. And the key, yeah. number one, is we have to drown-proof people. I, I, I think the stat, the highest cause of death for children under 10 up in L.A. is drowning. So we can serve multiple purposes here. One, make our sport more diverse. Two, drown-proof athletes. And having someone like yourself on board and Max Fedel on board and um, – uh, all the different folks around the country. We've got a woman's try in Philly, the women's pool try, yep. 1,650 women this year, right? Awesome. People have blow dryers in transition area, like blow drying their hair before putting their <laughs> helmet on. <laughs> and so it's a different gig, but it's, that's our sport can do that. It's a very, it should be the welcome mat. Our sport and I do should think, be the welcome mat. Yeah, and it is, it's all about we want to supply, we want everyone to have the opportunity to do something that it's going to keep them healthy. If you can exercise, it's a great way to get confidence and, and learn all these life lessons and um, have fun and have a community. And, you know, it, it's gonna, you know, I think I got really discouraged the other week, um, just how slow moving it is. And, you know, I think, you know, I may not be able to see this change in definitely not in a week or a month um, or maybe not even in a year. But um, I think if we all focus on it and, and work mm -hmm. really hard, hopefully there will be change for, for our children, which, um, you know, would be incredible to have a, a, a different life. We already, it's funny, LA Tri Club already has a program where they, they do a, a swim each year to raise money to teach inner city kids how to swim, right? Once they, re, once they saw that set. So that's there. Tri Masters is there. We've got yep. groups in San Francisco. We've got groups in Philly, Chicago, New York. Once the world opens up and we can have something happen and having a name like yours associated with it and all the other, we can turn this around very quickly because we're already doing, from a CF perspective, we're already doing swim clinics. We're already working at these school, these, uh, these pools. So to be able to expand that and have not just challenged athletes there. And actually what I have found is when able-bodied kids come out and think they can't see some, do something, and they see a kid missing a leg or a kid who's wheelchair bound getting in the water and swimming, it makes them understand they can do it. Yeah, right? that, that's so pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Everybody wins. Every, yep. Everybody wins. So the transition from you go from winning a golden triathlon to becoming a mom, the Stanley, yep. to going, you know what, I'm 
going to go for another Olympics, but I want to do it in the marathon. Was part of that, I always look at the, the sport of triathlon, that's a lot of time out of the house, right? You go on a bike ride for three hours. As a mom, was that one of the reasons? It's just, I, I got to do something that takes a little less time and maybe a little less dangerous? Um, <laughs> um, the, you know, I was going to for sure say no, but then we said a little bit less dangerous. I mean, part of it is that I just, I did not like, um, the fear I had on the bike and having to overcome that mental fear every single day, yeah. um, was, was very draining. The, the time aspect of it had, had nothing to do with the choice. Um, and you know, actually with running, you beat your body down so much that you have to have body work all the time. And I actually think like the amount of hours I'm not in the house is pretty equivalent to, um, my triathlon training days. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I actually, um, you know, I, out of college, I wanted to run. Um, and I was just told I wasn't good enough. Um, and then after triathlon, I had, you know, these PRs and a 10 K and I, I remember I would race the Sydney, um, the Australia national champs, 10 K road champs every year. And I would do pretty well. And I was getting PRs and I felt like I kept improving. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I'd called Jerry, um, the coach of Bowerman Track Club. Yeah. He was actually Schumacher. the men's coach yeah. at Wisconsin when yep. I was running there. So he kind of, he knew who I was. We're actually both from Waukesha. Um, and, you know, I just kind of said, like, this is what I want to do. And I, I called a, a bunch of other coaches as well. A lot of them said, you're crazy. Um, but, you <laughs> know, course. yeah, I, you know, for me, I, I want to, I knew that I hadn't reached my potential in running and I still know I haven't. And so I just kind of want to see where I'm at. And, you know, the, the marathon dream, I was very bold about saying what I wanted to do. And I've, I failed this go around and I think it's good as well for, you know, just for kids to be able to see, like, it's good to put out my big crazy goal, but it's also important that you make modifications along the way if something happens. And, um, you know, I actually had heel surgery and I had Stanley. And so like the time was running out and just wasn't going to happen. So I'm actually training for, uh, the track right now, 5k, 10k, which has been a complete turnaround. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's just, um, you know, we have pure speed days and those are the days that I struggle the most for sure on my team, but it's also fun because every time we have those, I get like a new PR in the 400 meters or something. And it's just kind of fun and, and, and different. And me, I, I feel like I'm on the, the best team um, in the world. And I have these ladies and I, I see what they do on a daily basis. And I know that keeping up with them in practice is going to pay off long-term. Back in the day when you were training swim, bike, run, your running kept getting better. I remember back in the day talking to Bobby McGee and goes, Gwen's running faster for 5K and 10K now doing swim, bike, run than she did when she was just running. Have you incorporated swim in like indoor cycling to continue to do that? Because it's when you become a, just a straight runner, sometimes injuries just pile up. Yeah. Um, well, like, you know, earlier I said, I, I didn't want to bike because of the fear for it. So yeah, I have actually been, I incorporated a lot of Zwift riding, which has been amazing. Um, yes. a lot of races on Zwift, which get my heart rate up and make it a workout, but make it fun. Um, and that's something that I've really enjoyed. And, uh, to be honest, I haven't been swimming. I did, I did swim when I was injured, but I haven't been swimming recently. And I actually think it's, that's been a little bit better for me just because of the way I'm built. Um, I tend to hunch over a lot and my shoulders tend to get tight and 
-hmm. without the swimming, I've been able to actually run with more relaxed shoulders. So, um, just knowing my limits on that have been, been pretty good. So, yeah. Very cool. So, uh, Gwen, moving forward, this is, it's all 5k, 10k. So now you are this fast twitch, this fast switch person, right? It's, and that transition is that been hard. If you, if you, yeah, yeah. If you if you talk to my teammates, I wouldn't think they. Uh, no one would say 10k is fast twitch, but. Uh. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, how has that been, in just in terms of your body handling this load of speed? Actually, um, really good. Like injury wise, um, I've I've been really healthy. Knock on some wood. Um, yeah. But you know, it's it's been it's been really great to see the progress and to go from just hanging on the back of my group to leading, to helping them out, to, to being in some sets, the last one to be standing and other people, you know, struggling. And so to see that variation is something that's been really encouraging for me. And, and, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to make the switch to running was because I felt like I had reached my potential in triathlon. And so to be able to run and to be able to see improvement, and to be able to still work on things and know that there's more in me is something that it just gives me a lot of joy and makes me so happy to just get out there and train. Obviously, nobody wanted COVID to hit, but having that extra year going for 2021, has that actually been a positive for you, giving you more time? Yeah, I, I think it has, especially um, as the months go on. You know, we did an altitude stint this year in Park City. Um, Pat and me and Stanley, we drove up, you know, so we're following COVID um, instructions, trying to be uh, very cautious. And, um, but we did this altitude training stint and then we came back down and we've actually been doing some races here in Portland, just our group. Um, and I did the race right out of altitude, which is what I would have done going into the Olympic trials. And it, I felt awful. And this is, this was now the third race where I've done an altitude, come down, race right away. Um, and 90% of my team does that where they go to altitude, come down, race right, right, right away. And that's when they feel their best. Um, but there's me and, and one or two others who have realized we don't feel our best doing that. And so for me, just that alone, like realizing that this year, like I may need some more time coming down from altitude to race. That was a huge benefit. Like if I would have raced the Olympic trials, I would have, um, would have been game over. And just knowing that if I can come down now uh, a little bit earlier, I'll be at my best. And, and so that's been, you know, a game changer for me. And, you know, I've also, this year, I feel like is the first year I've been able to like get a lot out of my training. Um, and so every time you have good training since it builds and like next year I'll be at a new starting place. And so for me, I think it's exciting. Um, yeah. You know, having had a baby and then surgery, just having an extra year is, is probably good. I remember with the Ironman guys, when Mark Allen, those guys would be training in Colorado, they would come down three weeks before the race. They yep. felt that that they, they, their body needed to recover from the altitude and they would be ready. And actually it was pretty funny because back in the day, Ironman went on the full moon and if it was the end of October, it meant they were in Boulder till early October when sometimes there's snow on the ground. And yeah. they're like, we got to get out of here. But that's sort of been the measure. It's always been like a couple weeks rather than right before, I think. is For some people it works, but yep. maybe for you, you need a little more time. Yeah. Love it. Hey, Gwen, thank you so much for taking so much time. It's, it's been way too long. It's always fun to catch up with you. And with Stanley turning three, he's got to be close to three, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, next month he's turning three. So um, it, it'll be kind of fun because, you know, I feel like for his second birthday, 
he didn't really understand what was going on. And so now he knows what a birthday is. And I keep asking him what he wants. And it's so cute. Bless his heart. He wants a balloon. You can afford that. Come on now. I know. I'm like, I'm like, do you want a toy monster truck? Do you want, you know, he's really into um, uh, the Incredibles and he likes Frozone. Yeah. And he also really wants like a, a little ukulele, like a guitar. And so I'll like suggest those things. He goes, no, mommy, I want a balloon. <laughs> it's just so cute. I love that. Gwen, always such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking so much time. And uh, hopefully we can work on a little pool try thing together, right? I would love out. that. Yes, let's really, keep in touch really about fun. that. Awesome. Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen has been our guest. We're brought to you by the PTO, the Pro Triathletes Organization, by Amp Human, Velo Fix, Norma Tech, Form Swim Goggles, You Can, our Challenge Athletes Foundation. Now in 27th year, we've raised $123 million, sent out 30,000 grants for 103 different sports and 73 different countries, all 50 states in Puerto Rico. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Gwen, you are the best. Thanks so much for taking so much time. Bye. Bye.